0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the final third podcast, the Internet's number one soccer variety show. And we got a great, great show for you today. Talking about the craziness that has been the past week in soccer news, because it's Monday. It's our soccer news and predictions show. My name is Aj Tabura. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm a fan of Minnesota United, which went well against the Houston Dynamo. West Ham United, which went not so great uh against who do we even play i don't even care crystal uh, palace crystal palace yes thank you jack and uh u.s national team fan which i'm excited to see how that goes in the next uh, couple of weeks and you already heard his voice and i'm joined by jack jack how are you doing which teams do you support all hello 18 of them
1: uh it's not 18 i'll have you know it's five okay uh, okay i mean it can go grow up to seven uh depending on what i say but you know, uh, I'm a fan of Minnesota United. I'm a fan of Chelsea, which went well given the circumstances, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about later. Uh, I'm a fan of Atalanta, which did not go well. Uh, they did they lose? No, they pulled out a zero no, zero draw against Bologna, which I'm very upset Oof. about. Yeah, uh, And... Um, I am a fan of the U.S. men's national team and the French national team, and I'm very excited. Actually, I'm not so excited about the French national team because guess who's not there? Olivier Giroud, the best player in the world. Yeah. So unfortunately, they they left the best player on his on his couch, I guess. So
0: I Yeah, exactly. And he scored for Milan this this weekend against exactly. Genoa. So exactly. He's he best player, you know. Well, Jack, we're going to be talking about both the French national team and the U.S. men's national team later on in our prediction section. So if you guys want to hear more about UEFA World Cup qualifying, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, stay tuned for that. Uh, Before we get into some of the bigger news this past weekend, follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. We're doing a lot of polls. We're doing a lot of questions. We're doing a lot of uh, hot takes about some different transfers that are going on. So definitely tune in there. Uh, Jack, I, I, I... I'm giving you the opportunity to, to plug something that you've been doing for the past couple of weeks. I understand that you and our uh, friend of the show, Jordan Wiegand, are doing a a, a weekly, I believe, Marvel podcast or for uh, the new series that's out. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah,
1: well, uh, we've been... Covering and recapping really, uh, Marvel's What If? An animated TV series, say seeking to understand what if different events in the Marvel Cinematic Universe changed. I've been on for three episodes. I'm going to be on for the entire run of the series. Uh, if you're interested in checking it out, you can go to uh, at to Infinity Saga on Twitter or search to Infinity Saga and Beyond, a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan podcast. It would be awesome to see you on there. In this past episode, if we have any Spider Man fans, we talked about the new Spider Man trailer. So if you're interested in that, check it out.
0: All right, yeah. I'll also uh, include that link down below because we love some shameless uh, self promotion, <laughs> Jack. You better be promoting this podcast on there too, just oh, to make a fair. I will. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll well, go ahead promoting promoting and do it every that. Time. Don't worry. Thank you so much, Jack. Uh, and also give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We we read any five star reviews as well. Jack, let's get started with the newsroom where we talk about the biggest stories on and off the field. Let's start with on the field. Let's go over some, uh, we have three big games that have kind of defined the news cycle this this weekend. Jack, I'm gonna let you choose. Do you wanna talk about Chelsea or Arsenal first? Uh, Chelsea in a heartbeat. Uh, let's right.
1: let's save the depressing stuff for a little later. Uh, well, uh, so.
0: Depressing for Arsenal. Very happy depressing for, for Arsenal.
1: Yeah, it's kind of depressing for everyone because you know Arsenal should be a big team, but oh well.
0: Yeah. Well, Jack, since we're talking about Liverpool v Chelsea, which ended up being a one-one draw, top of the table clash. You are a Chelsea fan. I'm going to let you take the reins on what happened here, and we could discuss further.
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, like the new chant says uh, to start it off, Kai Havertz is the best on the war- on the earth, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. He he scored at Chelsea's opening goal at Anfield. Very good header. Uh, glancing header. Actually popped it perfectly over. Perfectly flighted ball. Uh, took the lead at Anfield. But Liverpool were pressing pretty high in this game. Uh, it ended up being a 1-1 draw. So you might be wondering, you know, Chelsea are pretty good at defending 1-0 leads. What could have possibly happened? Uh, And if you didn't know what happened, uh, I'm shocked, one, but second, (laughs) uh, it was a bit of an interesting uh, decision concerning my favorite sarcasm, uh, sarcasm there, by the way, uh, referee in English football, Anthony Taylor. Uh, Any Chelsea fans probably know what I mean when I mention him uh, in this. But So in the 42nd minute, Mm-hmm. Or forty-five plus two second minute. That uh it was towards the end of the first half. Right. We'll just say that Uh Liverpool went very close with a header. Joel Matip almost scored. Mendy palmed it or uh Mendy palmed it away. He went in again. It hit the crossbar. Fell to Mane, who fired in a shot. Mendy was beaten, but it didn't. It didn't go in. And apparently, it was a handball. That's what the players were calling for. Rhys James the ball hits his knee and pops up onto his arm and then his arm moves away from the goal so it does look like it maybe pushes it away a little bit the ball but that that's what we see happen on there so var advises anthony taylor to go take a look at the monitor of course right right aj that's that's what you should do right in these situations you should look yes, at the pitch probably, side monitor probably. take a good look at it you know take a nice long look make sure to get the full context of the situation um Unfortunately, that didn't happen. The opposite happened in which Anthony Taylor looked at a still frame where the ar- where it clearly looks like the pole is hitting Reese James's arm. And he sees that and he's like, ah, does little blows the whistle, does a little VAR symbol, points to the spot for a penalty and gives Reese James a straight red card for denial of a goal scoring opportunity. Which I I don't know I I don't know completely what your opinion is on this AJ, if you've watched I, it more I
0: got some some of my opinions ready once right. you are done go ahead though
1: I don't I, I I agree it's a penalty I'm not going to say that it shouldn't be a penalty yeah. sure that's but fine t- to
0: be fair I, I want all the listeners to know I had to talk Jack down from the ledge and get him to <laughs> realize that it was a penalty it,
1: it's a penalty yeah it, it is a okay, penalty yeah. that that's that that's fair uh the red card is a bit harsh though and I think. If potentially if Anthony Taylor looked at the full context of the situation, he'd probably, it, it, I don't think it would be a, a clean cut red card. It, he could still decide it's a red card. I could see an argument for him deciding that. Uh-huh. I personally don't think it is one because it hits the knee and it hits his arm. And it's it, it, like, you can't really like, I, I don't know what else he's supposed to do at that point. Really? Like, I mean, penalty is fine. red card, I think is a bit harsh because, when I think of like getting a red card for like, for like a handball denial of the goal on a line, right? I think Luis Suarez like yeah. no, literally the, the palming it like that, yeah, or exactly. um, uh, in a really vital game in the nineteen twenty season for Chelsea versus Manchester City, where uh, I think it's Fernandinho. He literally puts his arm out like to the side and then just palms the ball away, like mm-hmm. that. That's what I think for red card. Like that's clearly intentional. Reese James, his, his handball doesn't seem completely intentional. I get, I, I've, I've seen a bunch of people say, oh, he's moving his arm to try and clear it afterwards. So that's, clear, that's, a, that's a clear red card. But I, I'm not so sure because it hits his leg first and it, it lands on his arm, which is already kind of moving a little bit. Like, so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not convinced it's a red card. Uh, AJ, what do you think about that one?
0: I Jack can attest this. I have been going back and forth yes. for the past 24 hours. I'm like, ah, maybe it's a red card. No, it's, I definitely think it's not a red card. Never a red. I'm like, actually, it's definitely a red card. Actually, mm, maybe it's not. Maybe it's, just a, maybe it's just a penalty. I have now come to, I think, my, my succinct conclusion. Okay. I think it is a penalty and a red card. Oh, no. And I think the decision that Anthony Taylor made, as much as we both hate him, was correct. Because, and I, I, I did some serious research for this. I, I pulled up the IFAB rules and regulations for the, the, the sport of association football. And I looked at it. First of all, for the penalty, you look at the handball rules. Uh, and you look at uh, the following handball situations, even if accidental, will be a free kick or penalty. Uh, the ball goes into the goal after touching and attacking players' hand or arm. A player gains control, possession of the ball after it has touches their arm or hand and then scores or creates a goal scoring opportunity. Uh, and the big one here, the ball touches a player's hand arm, which has made their body unnaturally bigger. I think we could both agree that the the motion that Reese James has made makes his body bigger, like his silhouette has become increased compared to if his arms were just at his side, right? I guess, and, I guess, and so that is a penalty, uh, and I, I think if you we're gonna look at denial of goal scoring opportunity, you I, I watch the replays. I think the ball has a, like a ninety percent chance of going into the net if it wasn't for James's arms. Regardless if it bounces off his knee, he's at like such a he's outstretched enough where m- moving hit the, the inertia of his body would take so much more time he had to like block the ball with his body. So I think it was going to go in. So I think that is denial of a goal scoring opportunity, like like textbook. The angle of approach is low, which means it's moving more horizontally than vertically. And given his outstretched body, he couldn't really react to that. The question, Jack, that I I kept on asking myself is, is that a red card? And according to IFAB, yes, it is. A player substitute or substitute a player who commits any of the following offenses is sent off denying the opposing team a goal or an obvious goal-scoring opportunity by a handball offense. It's purposely vague, yes, so that it encompasses all of these handballs. And because he you know, did deny a goal-scoring opportunity, he gets the red card. I, 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 think, I think that is correct. Here,
1: here's my big gripe with it, though, because it, like, the same thing happened FA Cup final, Chelsea versus Leicester, right? Uh-huh. Before the, you know, good goal by Tielemans, really good goal, you know. Uh in, in the final, the one that ended up winning the game for Leicester. It uh the ball bounces off of Ayoze Perez's knee and hits his hand, which then directs it into the path of Tielemans who shoots and scores. Uh-huh. That wasn't given as a handball, right? So, yeah. it, it like, it's just the inconsistency with which this handball rule is applied. And it shows, I think this is one of the biggest takeaways, refereeing, no matter what the Premier League says, it's still inconsistent as heck. Uh-huh. And, it's, it, and it always seems to be the same people doing it. It always seems to be Anthony Taylor. I'm not going to lie. Every, every important game that Anthony Taylor is officiated for Chelsea, it feels like he's trying to find ways yeah. to make it, to make it, like, to make us lose, because... Yeah. Two FA Cup finals. He is the only referee to officiate two because the FA Cup final, usually they have a new referee every year. It's a tradition. Mm -hmm. They broke it once for the 2019-2020 FA Cup final for Chelsea versus Arsenal. Anthony Taylor had officiated the same final three years before that. The only time that's ever happened and so i i i feel very aggrieved by anthony taylor and i think you know if he if he had looked at it like actually looked at it and looked at the full replay instead of a still frame and still decided a red card i wouldn't be complaining about it as much i really wouldn't Mm -hmm. right i it it just feels really like upsetting because of that it it, because he
0: took like so Uh little
1: time to do it i i if if you uh, if you get what I mean, like I do
0: get what you mean. Yeah, I got so, a follow up question on that too. Do you think that intent matters? Because I'm seeing a lot of Chelsea fans and other neutrals saying that like it's it looks like he doesn't really mean to hit it with his. Uh, hand and it bounced off his knee so it shouldn't be a red card penalty yes but not a red card what do you make of that
1: i i, I think intent should matter in it because like you, you know like stuff like louis suarez's handball that's a clearly intentional thing like you can very clearly tell he's trying to handball it uh but like in this case it hits his knee so i think intent does matter because you know he it, it doesn't look like he's trying to do it it looks like it ends up in an unfortunate position which can happen and you know it like uh what what i'm thinking is like it 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 could provide like incentive to uh, attackers to like just try and hit their arm by any means necessary if there's someone on the goal line be like oh instant red card intent doesn't matter i don't know maybe that's extreme that's pretty
0: extreme because if you're if a defender has to be in that position where they're on the goal line and attacker has a, a chance to shoot I feel like it's harder to hit a hand than it is to hit the bigger net. True, Ned. true, but but, but
1: but then they get a red card, so like you know that that's what I mean by that. I,
0: I, but, I, you I, know, I think I'd rather take it's a struggle. bit extreme. Yeah. A bit extreme. Yeah. I we, we we've talked about refereeing very much so on this show. I really don't think that an intent in this denial of goal scoring opportunity situation should matter, because how do we measure intent? in a way that is tangible. Do we stare at his mannerisms part. and subtle body movements for like 10 minutes and be like, Hmm. It seems like he looks at the balls and before he moves. So maybe that's, that's a uh, uh, red card. Like We can't look at VAR for too long. That's hopefully, the tough part, yeah. Hopefully longer than Anthony Taylor did. Yeah. that That's
1: that. That's the thing. Like, yeah, there, there's a very, it's very tough to determine intent, I guess that, yeah. which is probably why it's not included in the regulations. Yeah. But what I'm, what I'm kind of hoping is like, You know, maybe we can get that red card maybe like turned down a little bit, like instead of it being like a two game suspension, like a one game -game? or something. I believe it's a two game suspension because it's a straight red. So,
0: yeah, I I think I I would say a one game suspension is like at least a a fair punishment for that, because if if we can look at it afterwards and think about intent after the fact and declare that he didn't really mean it. That's a whole different story. Yeah. You know what but, I
1: mean? Yeah, there is one other thing I wanted to talk about sure. th- this game with, because I think the second half shows a lot more about this season than the first half, even though we've talked about the first half for a lot. Uh, but Chelsea, 10 men uh, on, on the field. Liverpool couldn't break them down. Mm-hmm. They, they really couldn't. They had some opportunities. Mendy was incredible. He was like a brick wall besides the penalty. Some, he made incre- incredible saves all night, really uh or all day or all midday for us i suppose but uh (laughs) you know he he was really on top of it the defense did very well to screen it uh we had we created some attacking opportunities lukaku had some good hold up play it shows that chelsea are still like an incredibly dangerous team even down to 10 men this shows chelsea are a different kind of animal now they they've Mm -hmm. actually sorted this out thomas tuchel has that plan b for if, if we get a red card, here's how we handle it. Here's how everything goes down. And, you know, taking a point, given all of that, is very good.
0: Before we move on, I have to say, Chelsea are title contenders, in my mind. Uh, Liverpool, I had them as fifth place in the Premier League for a reason. I think, if anything, Leicester City and potentially Tottenham are better suited to be making a run towards top four and uh, top one champions. Uh, let's go to another side that's definitely not going to make top four. It's Arsenal, <laughs> oh, no. as they got battered by Man City, 5-0. Uh, no striker, no problem so far, uh, except for that Tottenham game. Ferran Torres, Gabriel Jesus, Jack Relish, Roger and Gundogan all took turns finishing and creating in this five-goal routing of Arsenal. Uh, Gabriel Jesus on the wing is a very good player. He's got one goal and three assists in the first three games. And I'd love to see him more on that side. Plus, this City side had Sterling and Mahrez on the bench. They came on for uh, in the second half. But they also have Foden and KDB still out with injury. That's great depth, especially once those guys come back from injury. If Torres can be the answer to their striker needs, I think this team will go far. If they decide to add another number nine before the window is done... Even better. Like there's a lot of good things coming out of this Man City team. Now let's go on to Arsenal, because Manchester City, you know, they were very good. They finished their chances. They they were able to create Pep Guardiola, just outclass Mikel Arteta. But obviously the big story here is Arsenal. Jack, Arsenal, like, are they relegation candidates? Probably not. Like, like, what are you seeing out of Arsenal that is like like, what's causing them to uh, go wrong? I see you're eating a mint, so I'm going to keep on talking for a little bit. I'm good, <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Okay, go ahead. Talk about some Arsenal.
1: Well, there's a lot of things that have gone wrong for Arsenal. Uh, in that game, they weren't helped by a red card to mm-hmm. uh, Granit Xhaka. A red card merchant, one might say. Yes. Very good at getting sent off. Uh, maybe one of the only things he's good at, some Arsenal fans might say.
0: But Getting overpaid, I think. Getting that's overpaid, more. yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, that goes for most of Arsenal's squad, though, Very I think. true. Very true. Uh, but, you know, Arsenal have a massive problem. They were missing first-team players, yes, but a squad like Arsenal with promising youth talent should be doing better than getting battered 5-0 against Manchester City. Like, really, like, a lot better. And they should be doing better than getting beaten 2-0 by Brentford, but uh, maybe and 2-0 by Chelsea, like, they, have, they are one of two sides to not get a goal. They, uh, and you know the thing is, and this is the biggest thing that, that's wrong with Arsenal, when they go a goal down, there is a mentality shift for the worse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, AJ, when you're, if you've watched them that much. Yeah, but when, yeah. they, when they go down a goal, that mentality to attack just goes away. They, they look like there is no plan B. They don't look like attacking. They look like defending, so their mentality is don't lose more. And Mikela Orteta, a stat uh, about him: games that they've gone into halftime losing. I believe they've won. It's either one or zero. Either way, it's not good. Mm-hmm. They don't win when they when they start losing, and that that's the biggest problem. And the, when they have a backline composed of the players they do, Pablo Mari. Said Kolasinac, yeah. uh, who, wasn't, who, who was terrible for Schalke.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Like, for Schalke, who got relegated from the Bundesliga. And I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans be really aggrieved with the decisions of their front office as well. Because they sent out a really promising defender, uh, Saliba, on loan. Exactly. Whereas yeah. they have like this backline. What, what makes players want to play for Arsenal then? Like, especially Saliba. Why would he want to come back when he sees this backline go out? and get battered 5-0 to zero after he was told he wasn't good enough for it. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the entire mentality at the club is missing an elite mentality. It, it's lacking. Mm-hmm. They don't have a willingness to go out and win games. Arteta has the tactical aptitude of a potato at times, it seems. Uh, that's a bit harsh. It is a bit harsh, but it, it, it is kind of true because there doesn't look to be a plan B. Like, it, it's, it's, a very, it's very poor overall.
0: The, All right, some technical difficulties there, but we're back. Jack, uh, Mikel Arteta is a potato. Go ahead. Uh, that's, a more bit of a that's a bit of a simplification.
1: That's a bit of I said the tactical aptitude of a, of a potato. Okay, okay, okay. That's still an insult. Uh, yes. But, you know, he, his tactical... Like, uh, you know, uh, he, he just doesn't have the tactics right for this <laughs> squad. And, you know, he spent a lot of money this transfer window. And uh, like, uh, I, he, I think it's over 100 million that he's spent. And he spent like 200 million since being there for 18 months. Right. And if any manager spends that much money and does this poorly, they, they should be sacked. And honestly, I, I think like you give Arteta maybe one more month at best it, and see if, he, if he's like still in the relegation zone in a month. Then, then you've got to sack him. If he, if he's in oh, like yeah, the like, sure. <laughs> like, you have to, you have to. If you go like two months without a win or without a point, you he has to go. And if I mean, honestly, yeah, obviously. if he doesn't beat Norwich, the, a relegation six pointer at this point in the season, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> if he doesn't beat Norwich, then then he needs to go. Like it, because Arsenal, Norwich our team they should be beating. So. And uh, the, the, thing, the thing that's, uh, I think, the most upsetting for Arsenal fans is if he does beat Norwich, it's going to buy him time. And they're, they're not going to fix any of the issues. And yeah. so uh, I, I feel like Arteta, they, there's, there's good managers that are out there. And I, I think that you know they, they've got to do something to fix it. And I think sacking Arteta has
0: to happen. I, I think, honestly... If he beats Norwich, if he's not top 10 by next month, but like in in that general range, I think he I think he is out Uh, because when you look at it from like a macro lens and you look at how the board has done, how Arteta has done with roster construction, I think that paints an even bleaker photo because you you mentioned Saliba going out on loan when you have the likes of Chambers and holding as your starting center backs. That's not great. They've extended Shaka's contract, which everybody understands is a bad move. And obviously, we've seen how it's a bad move. Uh, They haven't offloaded Bellerin yet, even though he's bad. Willian was a bad buy. They got rid of him. I'm pretty sure he's going to Corinthians. Corinthians, yep. But that was a terrible buy from Chelsea. Uh, And you have just hot and cold form off of their star attackers, Lacazette and Aubameyang. For the longest time... They just weren't playing well together, if at all. They have a young, fun core, but everything else about this club is bad. Manchester United have spent money to get Varane, uh, uh, Sancho, and Ronaldo, and have still spent less than Arsenal this window. That is an indictment on Cronky, their owner, Arteta, and the front board. I just think, like, from the ground up, from the coach to the owner change needs to be made whether that's like today or in a year like something has to happen or else arsenal will never reach where they once were and i think we should leave it at that let's go to another club who is also not reaching the heights that they once have reached before and that is juventus as they got beaten by a newly promoted side jack is very happy because he doesn't like juventus i'm pretty I neutral juventus. on juventus
1: juventus that saying I don't like Juventus is a bit of a simple is too nice to them. I okay. hate Juventus.
0: Alright. Well, yeah. you're gonna like this result, which was Juve losing to Empoli. Empoli one Empoli, to zero. Yeah. And Empoli is a newly promoted side in the Italian Serie A. You know it's bad when you lose to a newly promoted side. And this story has been the same for the past two seasons. I feel like every time I talk about Juve. It's the same narrative. The midfield is dog water. Even with Locatelli, there is no Pirlo-esque midfielder who can play as a deep-lying midfielder and dictate play. And Allegri's tactics were god-awful. I'm sure Jack's going to harp on this. McKenny was playing as a pseudo-false nine role when McKennie has never done that before. Dybala, at many times, was the lone striker up top, and that's not exactly what he's great at probably pair him with another striker, put him behind another striker. That'd probably be a good move. Taking Chiesa off when he was the only good player on this team and is so far is like the best player on the team now that Ronaldo is gone, maybe Jack and I were naive to think that Yuve were going to win the Serie A. Uh, maybe Jack was just reverse jinxing it. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Did did you not say Juve was uh, going to be the 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 title winners? I'm I gonna had, quick check.
1: I'm gonna quick yeah, check sure. my notes for from that. While while you keep talking about Juventus a little bit,
0: I hope Locatelli could help progress the ball and win the midfielder for Juve. But if he's not the answer, and something tells me he's not going to be uh, the structural change that they need, it's Inter versus Atalanta for the title. Chiellini said it best uh, when he was talking to Allegri on the sidelines when he said. Non esquadra which is probably butchered that uh, pronunciation, but translate to English that is this is not a team. I, I think it was Sarri, uh who said that this team is uncoachable, and from what I've seen, like there are some some players that should not be there. There's some players that are the antithesis of the Juve uh system, and a lot of things just need to change. Allegri is a good coach. I'm sure they'll be fine, but. Uh, the, the, the first couple of games here and the entirety of the last season is, has just been more of the same Jack did you have Juve win and what do you think about your fa- least favorite team losing
1: I did have them winning and I remember now because I said I hate to say it and yeah um, I, I, this, is, this has just been very poor from Juventus their first game I thought that was as bad as they would get but that's, that was when they still had Ronaldo they don't have him anymore uh ronaldo was the only reason they were even close to winning titles in the for the the past few years because i don't know if you remember the stat from last season but in games without ronaldo there were they they played seven games without ronaldo they only won one of those seven games that that's it they they are all they lived and died by ronaldo pretty much Uh in in it and it, it shows Dibala is not playing up to up to part, but then again, he was in a bad role for that. I think it would be best if he was alongside Morata to to do it. Rabiot, yeah. awful, awful, like just really bad, the worst midfielder uh, out of the three. And I mean, it's like picking it's like it's like picking the best three Sto- of the three stooges for for uh-huh. something like to 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 say like who who was the worst midfielder at Juventus in this game, but because they were all bad. But you know, uh Rabia was really bad Chesney he made some saves, but you know he he's clearly shook- uh shooken up from the the euros, and it shows he he's not been that good since the euros McKenney, why would you play him as a wide forward almost a wide <laughs> yeah. forward slash striker He's a central midfielder that makes absolutely no sense uh there's different like you could he could have played Kulisevsky there for example which would have been fantastic he could have played Morata instead and played two up top and had like mm-hmm. you know Chiesa as an attacking midfielder feeding into them that would have worked better than this but no he decided to push a central midfielder probably the best central midfielder at Juventus bar Locatelli like it's between those two for the best midfielder at Juventus I'd say uh but no, he, he he just he just tried to shoehorn players in where they didn't fit, and th- this like like uh, like like you said what uh, what Chiellini said nonis uh no, it's not it's not a team. Yep, it- it's not a team. Um, it- it's it- it's just awful. It-, it really is. I love to see it personally. <laughs> I I, w- I would love to see Juventus just crumble. I would I I I would love to see them finish outside of the top four. And have to play in the europa league i would absolutely love it i'm so glad chelsea are in the same group as them for the ucl so we can crush them twice hopefully yeah uh, so but yeah that's all i have to say about that do you have anything else to say about it otherwise the, we can
0: yeah the last hmm? thing i'm going to say before we move on to some transfer hot or nots is the saddest part about ronaldo leaving is that in the long run it's going to make juventus better which speaks to how poorly Yep. buying Ronaldo and utilizing Ronaldo the past couple seasons have has gone because they're, they're getting that salary off the books. It's going to help them. But the fact that they over relied on him so much and didn't get any Champions League success, not even a, a quarterfinal berth, is such an indictment on this club. And I'll leave it there. Juventus is going to be fine. I fully believe they're going to finish at least top four title challengers. At this point, uh, it's a wait or see for me. Let's go into transfer hot or not, Jack. As everyone knows, this is the, the segment where I asked Jack uh whether a transfer to a certain club is a hot transfer for all parties or a not hot transfer. Very simple. We got two because they're two big ones. We're gonna have a big transfer window roundup next uh episode, at least for the the last couple transactions in this window. But the first one I want to talk about is Rumor to be happening right at the deadline, and that's up Mbappe from PSG to Real Madrid. It's well documented that Mbappe grew up as a Ronaldo fan, and it's rumored that he's on his way to Ronaldo's former club, Real Madrid. The World Cup winner scored 27 goals and assisted 7 in League A uh last year, and is undeniably the next big talent in world football. He's going to be joining a Real Madrid team with Hazard, Bale, and Benzema as their front three, so there's room for a youngster like him to potentially work with the likes of Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo as well. The rumored fee right now is a staggering 180 million euros all in all. Jack, one of the biggest names in world football, going to one of the biggest teams in world football, is this transfer hot or not?
1: See, I'm. I, this might be controversial because I'm going to say not actually, and but the for, reason for, why, for
0: which parties All, for Real Madrid for Real okay, Madrid okay. it's not
1: because for you know in April we heard for weeks Florentino Perez saying oh our club's in yep. debt we're we're so broke we can't do anything that's why we need the Super League to spending nearly two hundred million on Mbappe that is insane that that is that that just shows that the Super League is. Basically bogus. They don't need. They don't need the money. <laughs> they clearly had it somewhere. Uh, it and it's just. It, it's just ridiculous. You shouldn't pay two hundred million for any player. in my opinion. I, in I his
0: last year of his contract, they can get him for free next year. I know.
1: Like it doesn't make sense. He wants Real Madrid. He won't extend at PSG. Wait. Honestly, it would be such a smart move for them to get him on a free next tra- next year because. The Bernabeu is going to be brand new, built up next year. It's, and uh, if they can get Mbappe too, that showcases a new era for Real Madrid in more ways than one. That is perfect. Like, I, I feel like their, their, uh, their front three right now is fine the way it is. Like, they have enough talent to do very well for themselves. I don't think Mbappe is needed now, but, you know, next season, I, I think, yeah, that, that, that would be smart. Uh, because Benzema will then be entering his last year of his contract. He signed until 2023, I believe, mm-hmm. was what it was. So, uh, you know, smart, very smart move, I think. It, it, would, it would be a very smart move to get him next year on a free. And also, like, uh, to anyone who's like, oh, it's fine, they'll make up for it in, like, shirt sales and all of that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, that's, no, that's I, not I'm, how that works. <laughs> I'm
1: sick of hearing this argument that you're going to make up for, uh, for something with shirt sales. You, each club, clubs get like 5 to 7 to maybe 10% uh-huh. of those shirt sales. You would have to sell, quite literally, billions of shirts to pay off the money you spend on Mbappe. So for, for PSG, if they can sell them, it, uh, that's it would be great. That's Yeah, really, it is. It's, it's two extremes uh, on this one because he, he will leave on a free. He will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think there's a doubt about that. So I think PSG are definitely going to want to sell, uh, this summer. So I think I think it's actually pretty likely to happen. Uh, but I think it's bad for Real Madrid and really good for PSG because they're going to get 200 million in. Uh, basically means that there's no inkling of like bad financial fair play on the books, really, like. Yeah, uh, they, they'll be fine. Then they can they can <laughs> invest that in signing Ronaldo from Manchester United next year. There you go. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they, that that that's 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 my opinion on it. It's really good for PSG, really bad for Real Madrid. Bad bad idea for them. But there 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 you go.
0: Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on all counts. I'll add for Mbappe himself. This is a hot slash not hot for him because obviously moving to Real Madrid would be huge for him. But at the same time, if he runs his contract down, he can then go to Real Madrid and say, Hey, you're willing to spend 170 million for me, right? Now that I'm coming in for a free, now you can use like part of that money to just add on to my salary. So you can add like 20 million per year additional to my contract. And then Real Madrid's like, I I guess we have to do that now. Obviously, it's not how that works, but like, but there's definitely room for Killian Bobbin to get more money. And still play for PSG, which is right now the best club in the world with Messi. So, I don't know. Uh, whatever he does, I, it, it is the right choice because he's going to be making millions upon millions regardless. This next transfer is the marquee news item of the week. That is Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, to Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo, famed Portuguese footballer. The top goal scorer of all time in the Champions League, golden boot winner for Juventus in Serie A last season, is on his way back to his former club, Manchester United. However, he was originally slated to go to Manchester City, with verbal talks ongoing with City Football Group. But then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Ed Woodward realized how bad it would look if one of their best players from the 21st century moved to their arch rivals. So, they called a friend, Jack a friend by the name of Sir Alex Ferguson. Ferguson gave Ronnie a call, and like Dumbledore mentoring Harry Potter for one last time, he convinced Ronaldo to move to United instead. And it wasn't just him, Rio Ferdinand, Bruno Fernandes, Patrice Evra, and Solskjaer himself all rallied to recruit the rambunctious Ronaldo. For 15 million and 8 million in add-ons, a deal was struck with Juventus for Ronaldo And Ronaldo's salary will make him the highest paid in the Premier League of all time. Jack, one of the greatest players to grace the earth and the game. Not so much off the field. Well, let's focus on on the field. (laughs) Going to the biggest club. Again, ignoring the off the field stuff more. Or ignoring the on the field stuff right now. More towards off the field commercially. Is this transfer hot or not?
1: it's tough because i want to say that it is because he's a great player uh i hate him for all the other stuff he's done oh for uh, sure but you know he he is a good player but part of me wonders if it'll be sort of like what happened when he went to juventus where he almost holds the team back because i i honestly think like as much as he helped juventus he held them back a lot too mm-hmm. because they ended up basically it, it, it's the same thing as like when you get a really good player you end up basically relying on them too much and living or dying by their individual performance in that game. Uh, I worry that Manchester United will do the same uh, in this case, but ultimately it's such a low fee for, for him. And for a two-year contract, I, I, think it, I think it's probably hot for United because it kind of gets the fans off of the backs of the Woodwards for mm-hmm. a little bit because they're like oh you got ronaldo back yeah that's a good that's a good thing um which could honestly be bad for united as a whole in the long run but like you know uh still i and it's great for juventus because they can start their rebuild uh i i just worry that you know having an overpaid 36 almost 37 year old on your on your uh wage book at manchester united who demands the ball pretty much all the time if he might hold them back a little bit which i i think is a fair question to ask if he'll like actually add to it rather than kind of make them a little bit weaker because like i've said several times with united transfers they still haven't bought a center mid that can yeah. actually defend and play in the hole so uh so be behind uh in, in between like the center backs you know so I, I, I just don't know if this is the right player that they need to fix the problems that they have, because goal scoring wasn't their issue. Uh, they scored five against Leeds. Like Goal scoring is fine. The issue is further down the pitch. So, mm-hmm. it, it, Is it good? Yes, it is. But I also think there's several problems with it, too.
0: Yes. Uh, obviously, not, not, a, not a silver bullet moment for Manchester United, because I, I think it's going to take a little bit... Uh, of Bruno Fernandes' output. I think it's going to be a little push and pull between all the attackers. Uh, But I think it's also hot for Juventus just because obviously they get that salary off the books. Seeing him in the Premier League is going to be uh, crazy. So uh, overall, this is going to be an interesting move. I I think we're going to see kind of a a huge shift in the Premier League uh, based on his arrival. I think Manchester United are going to Elevate themselves to be that uh, that championship contender because at this point, like even without a central midfielder, if you have all this talent in the defense and the attack, you you gotta have to make up the midfield somehow. You know, like 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 there there still is no excuses when you have a front potential front four of Ronaldo, Sancho, Fernandez, and Rashford. Like that should that front four and the, their back four midfield and goalkeeper sure that's an issue but with those two components that should still be enough and if Ole Sh- uh, Gunnar Solskjaer can't get like a top two top one finish I, I think that's it for him and-, and you need to capitalize on your new team and in- with a better manager Jack let's go on to the Champions League we're gonna keep this short because we're gonna do a larger preview uh in the future going like group by group but just in general, like which of these Champions Leagues groups are you looking out for? Like, w- which ones are really interesting you uh, from the draw?
1: Well, H obviously is interesting to me, but, so, that, yeah.
0: but that's just
1: because Chelsea's in it. Like I said, I want them to smash up Juventus because I hate Juventus. Uh, enough said. <laughs> I I think I I also actually I also want to add if Chelsea don't finish top in this group, uh, that that's basically a failure. I think. I, I honestly think it might be because this is a very winnable group. But mm-hmm. the actual interesting groups, one of them actually is Group D f- for me. Uh-huh. And the reason why is because it's almost identical to another group uh, from the group last year. Uh, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, and Shakhtar Donetsk are all in the same group again. The only one that isn't there is Mönchengladbach. It's a uh, Sheriff now, which is... Not as exciting, okay. yeah. But yeah. Uh, Real Madrid were really poor in the group stage. You might remember last season, and there were a lot of jokes that, oh, they're going to go to the Europa League instead. They're not going to make it through, but they ended up making it through to the semifinals as well. But yeah, that that is very interesting to me. I think, but the big ones are A and B. Like I, I think that's that's what everyone's looking out for. Every a lot of the a lot of media were classifying Group A as like the big powerhouse games. I I think B is the big one. Mm-hmm. You have so many Champions Leagues between these teams. I think you have fourteen between these four teams, which is huge. Like I mean, it might not be as much as Group D, for example, but that's mostly because of uh, Madrid. Yeah. But you have seven from AC Milan. You have six from Liverpool. You have one from Porto. You've got you've got a ton of final appearances from Atletico Madrid. Like these these are powerhouse teams, and a lot of them are are teams that really overperformed in the past few years Mm -hmm. so i am really looking forward to some of these clashes in here i'm really looking forward to milan versus liverpool uh the 2006 ucl final Mm -hmm. which i know a lot of liverpool fans are going to be looking forward (laughs) to based off of how iconic that is uh but yeah I, i i am really looking forward to group b i think out out of all out of like all the groups on because they're split up on two different days right so a through d play on one day and e through h play on the other day uh or or something like that uh but the one i'm going to be looking watching every single week except for when city and psg play each other is going to be group b because none of these matches i feel like are going to disappoint that that's that's the feeling i'm getting from these you you just have heart heavy hitter after heavy hitter and that is what the champions league should be about uh, and so i'm very excited for that
0: yeah i will also add on group a you mentioned it but it's man city psg uh, rb leipzig and club rouge no messi versus ronaldo because ronaldo is not going to man city but it's still going to be interesting it is another group of death along with group b i thought group e I mean, group b is not actually not interesting to me but it's bayern <sighs> versus barcelona for the millionth time in a row so that's you something i to guess you see it you know yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, Don't even bring that up to me. (laughs) Group F, Villarreal versus Manchester United, the Europa final rematch. Atalanta being there is also pretty interesting. Uh, I think that's going to be a semi-interesting group, uh, to be honest. But I think Group G is a sleeper hit. I've tweeted about this. This is a glorified Europa League group, like if I'm being honest. (laughs) It's a group of life if if I'm being quite frank because it's Lille versus Sevilla versus Salzburg versus Wolfsburg. All these teams in their own right are very good. You have Lille, who is champions of France, Salzburg, champions of Austria, Wolfsburg, who are currently leading the Bundesliga, playing very well, and Sevilla, which are Sevilla and very, very good uh, in their own right. Probably best of the rest in terms of La Liga. So they all have their own stake to claim, uh, their own stake to go on to the the, the, the round of 16 in this competition. So... If you told me that this this group can finish in a million different permutations, I'd be like, yeah, that's probably fair because I wouldn't be surprised to see Wolfsburg on top, Sevilla on top, Salzburg in second, Lille in second or first. Like That's just how open this group is. We're going to do a much larger preview of the Champions League groups. Go group by group. Talk about the biggest players to look out for, which uh, specific games can be group-defining, and who we think is going to move on uh, to the, the round of 16. That's going to come in in the next couple of weeks as the actual uh, group stage approaches. But Jack, let's go over some quick news that we don't want to do a full story on. Uh, I'll start off with uh, this first story. I just want to give a quick warning that this is first 30 seconds here we're going to talk a little bit about sexual assault, because uh, it is an important story to at least talk about and get out there. Just so everyone knows uh, and yes, I'll start talking about that. now that is Benjamin Mendy who has been charged, Benjamin Mendy being uh, a Manchester City player, uh, former probably in the future. he's been charged with four counts of rape and one count of sexual assault and will be held in prison without bail until his court appearance on the 10th of September. The attacks that took place uh, was between a window of October 2020 to august 2021 obviously that is pretty disgusting to see not just like uh one but to see four counts of rape is just absolutely reprehensible and you know seeing you know we know football twitter can get pretty bad sometimes but to see people make jokes or to not believe the people that he has wronged and to take his side without knowing anything is kind of gross and obviously We do not agree with that, and hopefully when we cover this story further on, we can get some, hopefully some justice, hopefully some good news, and hopefully the footballing community as a whole can really see the grave situation that is uh, Benjamin Mendy and his case. Uh, It's hard to uh, now go on to another topic because that is obviously a very dark and heavy topic, but Jack, would you like to talk about Harry Kane staying at Tottenham Hotspur?
1: Yeah, well, Kane has announced his intention to stay with Tottenham Hotspur for the remainder of the season after the Spurs board and Daniel Levy refused to entertain Manchester City's offers. Now, Kane is asking for a raise to take him to 400k per week despite having 3 more years left on his contract. Pretty pretty much just a series of massive Ls taken by Harry Kane uh th- this this season uh and just in general. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about some managerial changes in MLS. The first is Mark DeSantos getting let go from the Vancouver Whitecaps after two playoffless seasons that saw him win only 22% of the games that he's managed. In addition to that, Freddy Juarez, who has taken Real Salt Lake above the playoff line, has left the club after two years in charge to become one of the assistant coaches for the Western Conference-leading Seattle Sounders. And he speculated that he left because he understood the RSL were likely to move on from him at the end of the year. So he wanted to make a move while he could to, you know, a pretty uh, winning culture team. Jack, uh, this is a big story. I guess we could have uh, put this as one of our main stories. But uh, some international news. Why don't you take care of that one?
1: Yeah, well, it was announced that earlier this week, many leagues, including the Serie A, the Premier League, and La Liga, supported their clubs withholding players from playing with their national team if they were going to play games in red zone countries, which includes big names such as Brazil, uh, Egypt, in the case of Mo Salah, and many, many more. Uh, of course, like uh, the, uh, the, these uh, national teams and many players and FIFA themselves have spoken out against this, and both sides are ready to levy legal action. This is going to be a a messy legal saga over all of this, Uh, so I wouldn't expect this to be resolved soon, but uh, I I would be expecting to hear about this for probably the next few months at least, because it is a big deal and sets a big precedent going into so many international windows.
0: Well, Jack in 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 a, just a couple of words are you for or against the restriction that these leagues are putting on their players
1: ah it it, it it's very tough yeah it uh, is. because
0: i can see both sides of it uh the four being
1: for uh the 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 clubs themselves you know like they want their players uh the other side though i i i tend to side more with the players and the public health protocols in, in mm-hmm. saying that you know, they should be allowed to play for their clubs. They have contracts with their national teams, and those national teams are relying on a lot of these players to do this kind of stuff, and it, it's letting them down. They deserve as much of a chance to represent their national teams as their club teams, and, you know, I, I think that they they should be able to represent them.
0: Yeah, so part of me thinks about this very cynically and makes me think that these clubs are withholding these players just so they can... Avoid any quarantining. Even if they don't get COVID nineteen, they'll they'll probably have to quarantine, and so they want to you know protect their product and like that.
1: That's exactly why. That's exactly why they're withholding them.
0: And even more conspiracy theory of me. Part of me thinks that like England, France, Spain, all these uh, countries are doing it, so they weaken Brazil, Argentina, all these (laughs) other teams. So there's upsets, and the the teams that go into the World Cup are weaker than say Egypt or yeah. or all these other countries.
1: There is there is one quick thing that we also should mention about this with the red list countries because we talk about some social justice type stuff uh-huh. a lot. If you notice on the list, if you look it up, a lot of these are pretty underdeveloped countries in some cases, or in uh, you know, what would typically be classified as third world countries. Mm-hmm. Uh which is not really anything that they can do about it because a lot of a lot of the issue is that they a lot of them can't like uh, afford to get like all of these vaccines out and like it's mm. tough to communicate in some of these countries and it's uh so it's not really their own fault that th- that they're in these red zones but even countries where cases are going up because their vaccinations are going up and they have like more uh technology it seems it seems there seems to be a very big correlation is all i'm saying yes between these red uh these uh red zone countries so
0: yeah a, a little bit of eurocentrism perhaps a bit, a bit of that uh yeah for sure yeah speaking of eurocentrism let's change to americentrism we're about <laughs> to talk about some u.s fence national team I'm going to give a very quick September roster reaction, some takeaways, I suppose you could say, before we move on to the predictions. Uh, this is, of course, the U.S. Men's National Team corner, where we talk about the big happenings with the U.S. Men's National Team, and the September window's here, so let's talk about the major takeaways from this roster that Berhalter has released. I won't go through the full list, because you can just look that up, but there are some surprise inclusions and sums that I'd like to address. In terms of surprise inclusions, or not even surprise inclusions, just some uh, inclusions that I think were noteworthy. The first is obviously Ricardo Pepe, who declared for the U.S. men's national team. Such a dynamic striker, great movement in the box, great finishing, and he is only 18. He was uh, eligible for l Tree too, but he's cited like, you know, he feels so welcome in the system, in uh, MLS, in America, and so he wants to, celebrate his Americanness by you know, helping us get to the World Cup. FC Dallas, thank you for your service. Next is Conrad De La Fuente, who's played very well for Marseille and has made the cut. I'm really excited to see him. He just got an assist this past weekend and has been doing uh, very well for that club, getting on the score sheet a couple times. Also very young, also uh, very excited to see him. Now, Tim Ream also made it, and a lot of people were mad about that. I very much believe that this is a leadership selection. Jack and I in our uh, roster predictions said that he's going to make a great head coach. He talks to Berhalter all the time about tactics. He's a captain of Fulham. He is a, a very much leadership presence, whatever team he's on. He's very good uh, as an off the field leader. And when you only have one player, and this is crazy, I, I had to look this up, only one player over the age of 28 on your roster, you kind of need to have that veteran presence. And he's a Fulham captain for a reason, so is he going to start? Hopefully not, but I am not mad that he took one of the roster spots. I wasn't expecting to see Yedlin, Roldan, or Bello either, but the first two give CONCACAF and national team experience. And the second one is a young guy who has done good at left back uh, for Atlanta and the U.S. In terms of exclusions now, we can look towards right back Julian Araujo, who has turned down a call-up to further deliberate between declaring for Tree and the U.S. Men's National Team, he plays for LA Galaxy. And there's some other guys who are like Reggie Cannon, Gianluca Busio, Otisoe, Sam Vines, Matt Miazga, and Matthew Hoppe. We're all either settling into or potentially moving to a new club. So they likely were left at home to focus on, on that resettling. You know, And that's a pretty fair move. Now, Eunice Musa, Jossi Zaris, Daryl Dike, Paul Areola are all injured, but will likely feature in future camps. I would be very surprised if all four of these guys went through World Cup qualifying not being on a camp. Then we have Gio Keene, uh, Chris Richards, who is a big one, Shaq Moore, Brian Reynolds. All of them have not gotten enough regular playing time, especially coming back from uh, whether it's the Nations League or Gold Cup, wherever they came from. Chris Richards, I think, is the big one that people point out to as a huge snub. But when you have played 45 minutes this entire summer and you are on the bench for uh for Bayern Munich, you come back from injury. I don't think I don't think Burhalter is being cynical here. I just think he wants to see Richards get some more playing time because you can't really have room for you know experimenting with center backs in the world cup qualifying cycle so hopefully get some more minutes then we have some just youngsters who still need time to develop justin shea kevin paredes Kane clark kate cowell Ulianes. uh still young and raw probably get featured in the future and then we get to the names that were healthy scratches that could have been included because they're they getting playing time they're they're getting runouts, they're doing good I'm looking at Eric Williamson, Julian Green, and Luca Della Torre as the three big names that probably could have made this list. All players I would have loved to see in the midfield. And I think this tells us that Burhalder doesn't really believe in Green and Luca Della Torre and prefer guys who have been more involved in the team than them. That can change, however, because if we go to the other takeaways I have, uh, Tim Wea is injured. He has got an injury that'll take him out for two to four weeks. So this means that someone can step up. And I tweeted that Matthew Hoppe could be that guy. But then I saw tweets that are saying, like, yeah, he hasn't been playing that much. He's not getting a lot of playing time. So maybe, just maybe, Julian Green, who has played in the wing, Luke Del Torre, who has played in the wing before, can step in. And I think that would be a, a really good move for Berhalter and for those two guys to prove that they can be in this national team picture. We also brought in 10 defenders which guarantees that we're probably going to see a three-in-the-back system at some point, whether that is to make ourselves more defensively sound or to extend our attackers by pushing Dest and Robinson up. I'm looking towards maybe the Honduras and Canada game as a a, a game, so we'd probably see a three-in-the-back system. We also might see some Aronson, Reyna, and Sands midfield flexing. What I mean by that is... These three players are listed as either wingers in in Aronson and Reina's case, or for Sands a center back. But they are known for playing centrally, uh, as uh, the the most advanced eight in terms of Aronson and Reina, and as the number six holding midfielder uh, with Sands. I kind of expect that if we are down a man, uh, because of injury or because of suspension or whatever, or if you just want to see Reina centrally, we're going to see them play. In those midfield spots, because we only took five players in the central midfield area. Without Miazga or Richards, the best three center backs we have are Brooks, Robinson, and Zimmerman. I expect those three to be the main rotation for center backs, followed by McKenzie, Ream, and Sands. Uh, Christian Roldan was someone who people did not want to see, but I think he'll be featured heavily. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending if you're a Seattle Sounders fan or not. Like, look at his Gold Cup runouts. Burhalter likes to use him as a super sub role, which makes sense because he's neither a natural eight nor a winger, more of just an advanced central midfielder. But he's really good at seeing games out and running opposition defenders to the ground. And when you want to save some of your best players, getting someone that's just a workhorse like Roldan will be a great use, especially for already up against El Salvador or Honduras. Lastly, our goalkeeper Tep is great. Literally, pull out of pull names out of a hat, Horvath, Stefan or Turner. I'll be happy. I am a Turner stan, though, so hoping for that. is our attacking depth, right? If Christian Pulisic cannot continue because he has COVID-19 still, well, you have Timothy Weah, who's injured, so you have the likes of Reyna, Aronson, Conrad, Sia, Sia Bachu, Pepe, if you want to call in Julian Green or LDLT. Like, all these players are good. That's really good. This is a really good roster. I'm really excited. Those are my major takeaways. I'm looking at seven points as our cap. I think we're going to draw either El Salvador and or Honduras. Hopefully, we win against Canada. But if we come out with four or less points, that's when we know that we are in trouble. That's it for the U.S. men's national team corner. Let's get into some predictions, Jack. Uh, Why don't we talk about the first uh, game? I guess I'll talk about the first game a little bit. Uh. But why don't you tell us about uh, the scoring system that's in place here?
1: Yeah, well, you get 10 points for getting the winner correct. You get 20 points if you get the exact score line correct. And as, uh, as it did come into relevance this mm-hmm. week, you get five points for getting a penalty shootout the winner correct when they win in one of those.
0: Yeah, so let's get started with the first game, which was MLS All-Stars versus the League MX All-Stars in the MLS All-Star game this past Wednesday. After a summer of the U.S. men's national team beating El Trees, but our domestic league MLS decided to get in on the action. The League MX All-Stars took the early lead with a Rodriguez goal, and then Murillo of LAFC equalized, for, and he equalized for MLS with a header off of a corner. After 90 minutes, it was still a stalemate. So we went to penalties where Turner, Matt Turner, I just mentioned, made two saves like the goat he is. Nani shanked his potentially winning penalty 100 meters off frame. That was terrible. And the U.S. men's national team starlet, Ricardo Pepe, blasted in his penalty to win it for the MLS All-Stars. Overall, you know, not too much to take out of it tactically, obviously, but it was a fun match that had decent level of intensity while still being a friendly competition. It really just was a celebration of our two leagues and I hope to play League of MX in the future. However, for scoring, Jackson said three to two for the MLS All-Stars. He guessed the MLS All-Stars winning, so that's five points for him. I had a five to four win for League of <laughs> MX. Couldn't be further from the truth. That'll be zero points for me. Our listeners, who, you know, they voted on the Twitter poll, you can too, at Final Third Show. They voted for MLS winning, and since it did go to penalties, they do get five points as well. Jack, We already covered Chelsea versus Liverpool at length, but tell us the score again and tell us what we predicted.
1: Yeah, well, it finished one to one in this game. I guessed one to zero. If it wasn't for the red card, maybe that could have happened. Maybe Chelsea could have won. But alas, that's not how it works. AJ guessed a draw, two to two though. So he gets 10 points and our listeners picked Liverpool. They probably El. should have won in this yeah. in this case, but no, they were not able to break down the resilient 10 men of Chelsea and they'll get zero points for this. But AJ, why don't you take it on to El Trafico?
0: El Trafico, LAFC versus LA Galaxy in MLS. Even though Vela and Chicharito, the excitement was brought. Dejan Jovalic took advantage of an LAFC defensive error and shipped their goalkeeper Thomas Romero. And then... Uh, Christian Orango equalized for LAFC with a penalty right before half. In the 58th minute, Brian Rodriguez dribbled through the entire Galaxy backline. A great, great goal to slot in the go-ahead goal for LAFC. Go check that out if you have the chance. Jovulic got his brace in the 63rd minute. Brian Rodriguez got his in the 66th. And in the 86th minute, something magical happened. It was Alvarez to Araujo who passed it back to the edge of the box where Kevin Cabral sniped it in to level... LA Galaxy, 3-3, and include this 3-3 thriller. Jack got the draw right. He got 2-2, so just a couple goals off. He got 10 points for that. I said 3-2 for LA Galaxy. I was sort of right, sort of wrong. I get zero points. Our listeners were on that Galaxy uh, bandwagon. They said they would win. They also get zero, zero points. Jack Wolfsburg versus RB Leipzig, a top the table clash in Bundesliga. Who took that, and... Who got points out of this?
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't the most exciting of games, but yes. it is a solid result for Wolfsburg. A goal in the 58th minute from their left back. Not even going to try and pronounce the name. I think it's Caracilion. Uh, if I had to guess, it see it looks French. That's what I'm going to go with. He scored in the 58th minute, brings Wolfsburg their third win in three to go top of the table by Let's two go. points. Great for U.S. Men's National Team star, John Anthony Brooks. I'm not sure. What, what do you call him a star? I'm going to call him a star because he is oh, a star. Yeah.
0: He's like the second most important person on this team, yeah.
1: Yeah, so there you go. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not as good for Tyler Adams in this case, no. who is on the losing side this time around. But I I saw the light. I knew Wolfsbury. I believed in John Anthony Brooks. <laughs> I, I thought that I didn't believe in him to keep a clean sheet, which— backfired on me i guess two to one i'll take the 10 points though aj guessed one to one close it could it could have been but not quite and he'll get zero for that and our listeners guessed rb leipzig who did not win this one so they'll get zero points from this one
0: the most exciting part of this match was john anthony brooks kind of a a shoulder checking andre silva he fell down and uh, John Anthony Brooks kind of make like a, a sleeping motion like, to really like rub it in his face that he was diving. So that was really fun for everyone, but especially U.S. Men's National Team fans who are excited to take on uh, a with that mentality. The last game we're covering, however, is Seattle Sounders versus Portland Timbers, which as far as I know, has not happened yet at the time of recording. So this is when future AJ is going to come in and say the score of that game and uh, who won this week right now. Alright, this is future AJ, AJ at 1.30am, uh, telling you that Portland Timbers won this game, won the Cascadia Cup. Uh, it was a pretty good game for Portland. I think they overachieved given how inconsistent they have been this season, and Seattle, uh, to their discredit, underachieved. Uh, we got goals from Sebastian Blanco and the last-minute goal from Felipe Mora. But the big takeaway this game is the fact that Eric Williamson went down with a, an ACL injury tore his ACL. So prayers up for him. Hope for a speedy recovery. He's probably going to be out for this season, if not more. So hopefully he can recover quickly. And Jack predicted 3-1 to one for Seattle. I said 2-1. to one. Listeners voted for Seattle. And so that means that we all get zero points. And the point total that I'm about to mention is correct. Jack won with 25 points and has a total of 55. Good job, Jack. And yeah, thanks. And we're back. Uh, Regardless of what happens, it's either Jack wins or Jack ties it. So currently at the time of recording, if I could bring up the scoring, Jack is in the lead with 55 points. It's combining this week and last week. I am in second place with 35 points. And our listeners, guys, step it up. 25 points that can change with, obviously, uh, the Portland and Seattle game, but that's how it is right now. Jack, how are you feeling before we get to the next week's predictions? Oh, I'm
1: starting off this new season of predictions really well. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. We'll see if I can keep it up.
0: Hopefully you don't. And that's why I came (laughs) out guns a-blazing for these next week predictions. As always, guys, if you guys want to be a part of this game and try to really... Test your your uh, soccer know-how against us. Go to our poll at Final Third Show. We post it every Monday and Tuesday. It's all five games. Just fill out who you think is going to win, and you can potentially beat us for once this week and end Jack's reign of terror. Jack, let's start off with you. CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. It's El Salvador versus U.S. men's national team. The first game in World Cup qualifying for the U.S. Who is winning this?
1: Well, we haven't lost to El Salvador in three games. Yes, they were in the U.S., or at least not in El Salvador, but I still think the U.S. can get a result here. We, we have the quality on them. It is tough to play in El Salvador away. I'm not going to deny that, and I'm not going to discount it, which is why I'm going to go with the U.S. on this one. Okay. I'm going to go for... A three to one win in this one. I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. I think the fans uh, in El Salvador will help them get a little bit of positivity from this one, but ultimately, I think we'll do enough to break them down because the last time we played them with like probably a C or D squad uh, in a friendly, uh, we ended up winning six to zero. So yeah, I- I'll say three to one.
0: To be fair, they're also playing a Z squad in that game. That was <laughs> that was fair, not their strongest fair. lineup. Uh, but we're coming back up a nine-game unbeaten streak. Some good results out of the Nations League and Gold Cup. I also had a one-to-three victory for the US Men's national oh, team. We're wow. going to change that. As I mentioned before, the USA have a good roster, although many players have played just this past Sunday. We just mentioned Brooks and Adams. So they could be tired. However, it's not like El Salvador is looking any good either because Darwin Seren, El Salvador captain, went down injured against Minnesota this past weekend. That's a big, big blow. So, unless we rest players ahead of the Canada game, I'm expecting a win. And even if we rest players, which I think we will, I'm still expecting a win. I'm going to say it's closer, though. I'm going to go with a one to two victory, but not like we were tied one to one. I'm saying we go up two zero and then they score like a, a 90th minute consolation goal. <laughs> that, okay. Trying try to manifest that. Okay. Uh, l- I'll take Sweden versus Spain first off. This is UEFA World Cup qualifying. Uh, you. Uh, this is the Euro Group E rematch. Spain is currently leading Group B in the World Cup qualifying with seven points, but Sweden is right behind with six. Spain have a good side with a lot of players in form. Busquets, Gerard Moreno, Ferran Torres, Rodri, Pablo Fornals. Yeah, he made it. Good for him. Aspilic He's great. Jack knows that. Yeah. Undoubtedly better than Sweden's squad in terms of raw talent. However, raw talent can only get you so far. Their head coach, Luis Enrique, these tactics in the Euros saw Spain being wasteful with chances and possession, ultimately becoming a glass cannon team. Sweden, to their credit, are very structured and defensive. It's how they manage to punch above their weight their entire existence, pretty much. They only lost to Ukraine in the round of 16 of the Euros by a 120 plus one minute goal. They're better than people really give them credit for. The last two meetings between these teams ended up in a draw. I'm continuing that trend. And I'm continuing this trend because it's in Sweden, too. I'm going with a 1-1 draw. Jack, what do you think?
1: I also went for a draw Uh, on this one, but I didn't go for a 1-1 draw. I went for a 0-0 draw. Uh, That's what it was in the Euros, and that was in Spain. Uh, Ultimately, I I just think it's going to be a boring game. Uh, Sweden doesn't have the strongest attacking talent Spain has a pretty good defense, not a great attack that really combines well together. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just going to be boring. Really, <laughs> I'm not going to be tuning into this one personally. <laughs> so right. I, I think there's probably better games to be watching that day. So, yeah, that, that's, that's my take
0: on it. All right. Well, yeah, El versus USman's national team is that day. So just watch that instead. There you
1: go. Exactly. Exactly. let's go
0: on to two days after that when ukraine take on france in ukraine france are the clear leaders of group d with seven points but ukraine is second with uh, three points that's pretty sad that group huh wow well jack who is taking this are you backing france something tells me that you are going to be
1: what well, what reason would you would you think that i wouldn't be back in france with of course i'm back in france on this yeah one. You know, I, I have I, I have to. France should win this one. They want revenge after in the opener to this group. They drew against Ukraine one to one in a pretty poor performance for uh, for France. But you know, after the Euros, they're going to want revenge, and I think they're going to get it. They've they have the capability to destroy Ukraine. They beat them seven to one in a friendly. Yes, Ukraine had a COVID outbreak that took out all of their goalkeepers, so that didn't help. But I still think France has the ability to win this one, and I'm going to go for a 4-1 to one in this one. Wow. That's what I predicted the first time they played when we predicted this match, which backfired. I'm trusting in France again. I'm going to trust in them. Come on. I, allez les bleus, you know? That's, that's what I'm saying. I, 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 I want them to win 4-1.
0: Allez les bleus. i like, allez les... Because I am not backing France. Aww. Yes, On one hand, yeah, it is France. They have a B team that's better than 95% of the world's A team. On the other hand, Ukraine surprised France by tying them in France one-to-one in World Cup qualifying last time around. And this game is now in Ukraine. Plus, France is coming off a tumultuous Euro tournament with continuing personality issues persisting. Some call me crazy. I call myself AJ. Yarmolenko for the win. One-to-one. Okay, not win for the draw. (laughs) One-to-one. I think we cannot discount the fact that Ukraine are playing in Ukraine even if it is France. They have three draws right now. Let's make that four. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Our first disagreement, Jack. Let's see if we disagree with this next one. A team that you are pretty fond of, Slovakia taking on Croatia in UEFA World Cup qualifying. Obviously two teams with something to prove. Slovakia came in with a Euro group stage exit, currently third in this group's table. I'm looking towards players like Andrej Duda, Milian Skriniar, Stanislav L- Lobotka to continue their club form and help elevate this team beyond their, their stature. For current Group H leaders, Croatia, they're looking to avenge their heartbreaking loss to Spain in the round of 16 and look poised to do it. They have so many players that are playing well, Perisic in the attack. Vlasic, you know, former West Ham, uh, not former, future West Ham legend. Kovacic, uh, Pasilic in the midfield. Kolekakar and Lovren in the defense. Even without Modric and Rakitic, this is still a strong side. A side that I think eclipses Slovakian tactics and individual talent. I'm going 1-3 to for Croatia. Jack, what say you?
1: Back in Slovakia on this one. Yes, I have uh, flags for pretty much every country, it seems, doesn't it? Uh, for Since you can't see it on the podcast, I've been holding up the flag of who I want to win for e- almost every one of these. Yeah. But uh, I'm going with Slovakia. I think they can do it. Uh, they are a team that can frustrate very easily. Uh, we saw it with Poland. They frustrated Poland. They even frustrated Sweden for quite for quite a bit until they gave up a late penalty Uh, They frustrated Spain in the early stages of that game, but that didn't go well in in a little bit. But a lot of players that were injured are coming back to fitness in this one. Milan Skriniar is a very, very good center back. Uh, So much so that I put him in our best 11 in the world, or at least in Europe's top five leagues, uh, for uh, last season. And I think that this team can do it. Do they rely a bit too much on Marek Hamšík? Yes, a little bit. But I, I also like the, the fact that David Strelik is back from an injury that took him out of commission for the Euros. He is a very promising young talent for Slovakia. And Robert Bosnich, he is fit as well. So some young strikers back. Slovakia will finally have a striker in this tournament. That's what really hurt them in the Euros. So I am going to go for a very, very, very conservative one to zero win all right i think slovakia will try and strike early to get a goal it'll probably be like robert mack doing some really good dribbling to get into the position and then just sit back and defend because that's what slovakia do that's real they're burnley basically they really are but i still like them
0: and i want them to win all right well i'm sure you don't have a flag of this next one brazil versus argentina i'm gonna go ahead and guess Nah. I have Guyana, but
1: just similar to Brazil. But that's not who I want to win.
0: Of course, of that's course. Why. This is CONMEBOL World Cup qualifying. Uh, the Copa America rematch. Brazil, so far, in this World Cup qualifying, has won every match. And Argentina has won three and drawn three. Jack, who is taking this classic South American matchup?
1: Yeah, well, it's a little bit tough on this one. Uh, can, yeah. you, can you just... Uh, is Argentina on the red list? I, I just need to, I, I didn't think they were, but. Here's
0: the thing. I don't think they are, but even if they were, the only players are going to be missing are Buendia, Martinez, and Christian Romero. Brazil, if I could, right. if you'll let me list off the names, are going to be missing Allison and Ederson. They're two best goalkeepers. Thiago Silva, Fred, Firmino, Fabinho, Richarlison, Gabriel Jesus, Rafinha. Ouch, that is pretty bad. So yeah. go, go ahead. Does that change your, your prediction? I mean, at I all? was going to
1: go with Argentina either okay. way. Uh, well, kind of. Actually, no. Yeah, I was going to th- go for a draw at first, but I'm going to go for Argentina to win just because right. the odds are way too stacked against Brazil. It's in Brazil. Yes. But Argentina's squad is huge. And like they, they have they have great squad depth. Both of these sides do. But Argentina is going to be fielding mostly a, their top starting 11. Mostly. Uh, they they will be missing their goalkeeper probably uh, Emmy Martinez. They've got other goalkeepers who can do a decent enough job. Brazil doesn't have a name that comes to mind who really replaces Allison or Ederson
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: as well as they can. So I think that Argentina will take this one. I'm going to say it's going to be two to zero. Actually, I oh, I, wow. I think I think they could do it. I I'm I'm going to back Argentina in this one. Messi is is going to be there hopefully. And if he is, he, he's going to tear it up. What, that that after the Copa America he had, he's
0: going to tear it up. All right. Well, I think Brazil still have, you know, a pretty decent squad. I mean, they have some like La Liga, uh, you know, other leagues, that, that their domestic league is like, okay, I suppose. But I completely agree with you. I think it's going to be too much of a mountain to overcome it is in Brazil though, so there's probably going to be some like atmosphere backing them. I think it's going to be a two to one victory for Argentina. I just think Argentina just has the players. We look at even like Paredes, Di Maria, uh, Lotoro Martinez as just other players that can help Messi. I have nothing else to say other than like the big thing is Brazil missing all those players. If they if those players do end up like somehow getting released by the time this this game comes around, maybe that changes things. But for right now. I'm going with a 2 to 1 victory for Argentina. Jack, how are you feeling about those predictions? Do you think you can keep your potentially three a two game winning streak going on to a third?
1: Uh I hope so. I hope Slovakia and France don't let me down. Uh, I think the the one that has the most potential to do that is Slovakia. Yes, because for sure. Cuz they always seem to disappoint me. Uh, but I'm going to back them all the same. We'll, we'll we'll hope it pays off.
0: All right. All right. Well, that is it for the final third podcast. We went through a lot of news, a lot of predictions. So Jack, where can people find us on social media to hear more news and predictions? you can
1: find us at Final third show on Twitter. Uh, make sure to fill out polls to participate in our predictions games every week. If you have any comments about about uh, about the games, we can also we can also share those potentially we can we can see about that. Uh, but if you want hot takes, cold takes, medium takes, rare takes i guess now i'm just listing state temperatures (laughs) not take temperatures uh but you know just follow us on there and it'll it'll be a fun time you you can you can see uh me uh rant when uh anthony taylor screws over chelsea yet again in a game as always uh you can see aj be ecstatic when once west ham win the europa league obviously yeah i like this yeah yeah (laughs) I'm, I, I'm hyping up West Ham for once. I know you're not used to it, but yeah, <laughs> I, make sure to follow us on there and interact. It'll be a fun time.
0: All right. Yeah. Also, don't forget to follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as well. You we read out any five-star reviews that we get on there. Thank you so much for listening. Tell a friend that you enjoy the show. Tell your dad that you enjoy the show. I'm sure he'd love to hear about Ronaldo coming back to Manchester United. We're going to see you guys this Thursday for an NWSL-themed deep dive episode. And we'll see you guys same time, same place for next week's news and predictions show. See ya. Bye for now.